The following is a presentation from the Recycling Council of Alberta's 2021 webinar series. On March 30th, experts gathered to discuss Alberta's planned engagement on extended producer responsibility and the next steps for developing EPR policy in the province. The RCA would like to thank our supporters for making this webinar possible, including Platinum Sponsor, the Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation. In this segment, the RCA's Executive Director, Christina Seidel, leads a discussion on the implementation of extended producer responsibility in Alberta. This includes harmonization with other provinces, the role of producers, setting targets, performance-based versus outcome-based regulations, and oversight. The panel includes Heather Von Hoff, the Executive Director of Water and Waste Policy with Alberta Environment and Parks, Jody Thompson-London, the President of the RCA, Alden Nickmans with the BC Product Stewardship Council, and Kelsey Morden with the Retail Council of Canada. These are the speakers that we are lucky to have with us. So today you are going to hear from four experts on EPR. We're going to hear from Jody Tomchishin London, who we are thrilled to have as the president of the RCA, but she is also known as an EPR guru, so she brings a lot of knowledge on the subject matter. We also have Kelsey Morden, who I'm just getting to know, and Kelsey has a great depth of understanding of EPR and other environmental issues. She's with the Retail Council of Canada, and she'll be representing that organization in our conversation. And we also have Alden Nickmans, who is with the BC Product Stewardship Council. And for those of you that don't know, that's an organization that really represents um, some of the, the municipalities, the regional districts in BC. And as you know, BC has extensive experience already with EPR. So Alda brings that perspective, which is going to be very valuable to us. But one of our key participants is Heather Von Hoff and she is Executive Director of the Water and Waste Policy with Alberta Environment and Parks. And she is really leading the EPR file for Alberta Environment. And so we are thrilled to have her here with us. And she is going to be outlining for us some of the plans Alberta has and specifically the engagement process that they are going to be undertaking, which we really hope everybody is going to participate in so that we can put together the best possible system for Alberta. So we're actually just gonna start with Kelsey because Kelsey has a couple of slides that she's going to include. Um, then we'll go to the others and then we will come back. Thank you, I see people are starting to put their questions in the chat box, which is exactly what we'd like you to do. So any questions you had as Heather was presenting or that you think of during these next presentations, please just put them in the chat box. I am writing them down and we are going to try to get to all of them before we're done today. So if you're ready, Kelsey, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thanks, Christina. And hi, everyone. My name is Kelsey Morden. And I'm the Manager of Sustainability Programs at Retail Council of Canada. RCC is a not-for-profit industry-funded association that represents small, medium, and large retail businesses in every community across the country. And under EPR, producers will be physically and financially responsible for the system. So retailers see this as a great opportunity to create economies of scale and promote innovation to get more value out of end-of-life packaging and products. Uh, and if you go to the next slide, I just wanted to give you a quick snapshot of the number of stewardship programs across the country that retailers participate in, given the breadth of products that are sold. And based on this, we have a few guiding principles for EPR discussions, including harmonization. So with multiple provinces moving to EPR at the same time, including Alberta and Saskatchewan, 
It's really important to have harmonization as a key guiding principle. So there's consistency in definitions, targets, and more. Uh, and that really allows you to build scale and efficiency into recycling systems. Uh, beyond this, you don't want to lose sight of environmental outcomes with an overly complex or prescriptive regulation. So I think the discussion paper does a good job in recognizing the need for flexibility, particularly when it comes to how producers can meet uh, regulatory requirements. And overall, I think there are some good opportunities to learn from other jurisdictions, as Heather mentioned, uh, and avoid some of the prescriptive language and complexity that we're starting to see in Ontario so we can really find uh, efficiency and innovation. Uh, so with that, I'm looking forward to the conversation today as a follow-up to the great presentation, and uh, thank you for having me. Great. Thank you very much, Kelsey. Fantastic. And now I'm going to actually turn it over to Jody. Jody, if you can just give us your initial impressions while everybody's thinking about the great questions they're going to have. Always there you go. To, always <laughs> have to mute yourself. So what I'm going to just do is frame this, uh, frame this conversation just in terms of what I think the Recycling Council of Alberta should be looking for. And our vision and mission really looks um, towards building a circular economy. And a shift to a circular economy means that we should need to shift from a system that pretends that an effective collection program is in fact a recycling program that's contributing to a circular economy. And so moving towards a circular economy means, means we need to take those comfy blinders off that we've been wearing for 30 years that allow us to pretend that creating a program that downcycles material for one more use creates a significant environmental gain, ra gain rather than just delayed landfilling. So you heard Heather today use words like programs and that, that focus on programs concerns me because it allows us to continue to pretend that uh, we can A, collect and B, recycle our way out of the mess that we're in, the waste mess that we're in. Um, collection programs have what allowed us to get to a point where we had the national sword and the out of sight, out of mind mentality that creates uh, that led to ocean plastics and declining consumer confidence in our recycling systems. The circular economy is really about a rethink of design and how we provide services over products and a shift from doing no harm or doing less harm to doing good by adding value back to the environment and back to the economy. And the original premise of EPR, that's always what it was about. It was always about creating a circular economy. And 10 years ago, when I worked for the government of Alberta, we were asking, well, why isn't Alberta's programs good enough? Um, we even did a design for environment study and we, we said, look, the EPR programs aren't, aren't resulting in increased design. Well, we figured that out a decade later. And the answer is that the answer is an outcomes-based model um, and regulating an out, um, outcomes-based model that gives producers the freedom and the responsibility to do what they do best, which is innovate, design, design systems and design products at the market level. Um, and that is something that no Alberta municipality, no government directed program, and no provincially bounded recycling program can achieve. So that's why I'm really focused on, we need to talk about systems, not just programs. So what the government of Alberta has done is provided a framework that could go in many directions. It will require one or more collective programs and that's important. Uh, listen to that language. The proposal could, could, could create a regulatory slippery slope that could result in future unintended consequences that could inhibit a circular economy. So what I'll be looking for from the government of Alberta is whether they will be brave enough to set targets that are high enough and enforced effectively enough that producers who are doing the right thing will be rewarded uh, over producers who are creating unrecyclable products. And so far, the targets I'm seeing for PPP specifically and plastics specifically are a little bit disappointing because they seem to reward those producers. Um, those plastics producers are going to get less, less return over those, those producers that are going to get more return. And pay attention because municipalities will continue to cover the costs of disposing of all the products that fail to get collected and recycled. 
And worse yet, those low targets are actually counterproductive to what the government of Alberta seems they claim they want to achieve, which is public policy that will support their national ga natural gas strategy and also prevent the need for the feds to implement their single-use plastics ban. So my encouragement to the government of Alberta is to be brave enough to set ambitious targets, not just targets that the government of BC was able to negotiate through their system, but ambitious targets for the future that will actually encourage innovation, encourage uh, design for the environment. That's what I see. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks, Jody. A lot in there, but thank you. A lot for us to chew on. Um, now over to you, Alda, because I know you have a, a very different perspective, again, coming from BC where you've already been through this. So maybe you can just tell us what you're seeing in the paper and any uh, recommendations that you would have for us. Sure. Well, thanks, Christina, for giving me the opportunity to talk with all of you in Alberta. Um, it was very interesting to listen to Kelsey and to Jody, um, especially. So what you're looking at um, us with, with uh, their points of view is very much the big picture. And what I'm going to do is just get down into the woods a little bit because I represent the uh, regional districts that are actually uh, operating these programs, you know, under EPR and um, or on contract to operate uh, aspects of the programs um, on behalf of the pros. And there's some lessons learned that we've, you know, Come found you know over the years of uh, being involved, especially in the PPP program uh, with uh, Recycle BC. So I, I to get to the point, I like what I see in this backgrounder, and I can really see where the existing regulations in Ontario, BC, and Manitoba have really been examined and considered, and um, uh, there are various components recommended for adaptation in Alberta, as Heather had had, had outlined, and. Um, I think there are just a few key issues that I'd like to point out that should be addressed um, while discussing the new regulation. And again, this is more down in the, in the woods as opposed to big picture. Um, what, what we found was really necessary in BC that was lacking was a robust and thorough database of current local government PPP programs um, information. Um, it really needed to be gathered and used to inform the service levels required as they will be defined in the regulation. I think that's really key. So what you want to be sure of is that you have included within this data collection communities that are currently um, have curbside garbage collection, but don't have curbside PPP collection, because you want to be sure that they will get the curbside PPP collection down the line. Um, so they should transition, you know, to that. Um, and a further point that I wanted to make um, to that was the data gathering should also include new housing construction uh, that's been approved or is currently underway. These are things that were missed originally in BC and that's why I'm, I'm pointing this out to you now. And also a final point that's been just really difficult for everybody in BC, especially in the outlying areas, is that um, the ICI sector, at least to a small degree, should be included in this regulation. Um, I say this in the rural and remote areas, especially where um, the local government or First Nation are the sole service providers. So segregating residential from ICI PPP creates a, a logistical nightmare um, for these communities. And uh, um, from a marketing perspective, especially, right, because they're remote and they're, you know, they're just so far away and you're collecting residential PPP, but you're not allowed to blend in the ICI PPP that the same group is, is, is collecting in exactly the same way. And often they get commingled. So again, I bring this 
um, up because it's been a constant issue for us here in BC. And we're truly living proof um, that my members very much wish that this issue had been dealt with right from the beginning during the drafting of our recycling, our, our, our PPP EPR regulation. There you go, in a nutshell. Great. Oh, thank you so much, Alda. Again, your experience is really helpful for us. So thank you. Now we are going to start jumping into some of the questions and please keep them coming through on the chat function. Um, and I think, I think as we start to get into some of the questions, it's obviously going to lead to more. And I think, again, just based on the questions we're getting so far, this is going to be a very good conversation. So Heather, I'm actually going to come back to you first, if it's okay, because one of the first questions that we saw, I think is very relevant to the background that, that you and your team had done. And that is you talked to a number of different jurisdictions. So was there ever part of a, was there part of the conversation ever, ever about how Alberta could work jointly in a harmonious way with Saskatchewan and Manitoba to come up with a prairie type system that encompasses all three on a regional approach? Was that, was that addressed? So partially, yes. Um, I would say we're not quite at that stage yet because what we really yeah. need to do is use our engagement to hear from um, organizations, municipalities, communities within Alberta uh, first before we can look at harmonization. So ultimately, of course, yeah, harmonization across the prairies or with our neighbors or, you know, ultimately where it's possible across the country is a really good thing. Um, I think the first step really for Alberta, though, is, is actually to even get in the EPR game um, you know, and, and Alberta is a province which is interested in continuous improvement. So some changes will happen, you know, for example, introduction of EPR um, early and and uh, sort of efforts or work around harmonization will, will sort of improve over time um, as we get into the game and, and get practiced at it too. So so I think it's, it's a, a both and kind of answer. Yes, mm. yes and, uh, you know, it's going to look different in 10 years from now than it does today. Um, I think the key thing is progress. Great. No, thank you very much. That's, uh, yeah, I appreciate that because it, it really arose from the fact that obviously we're trying, not only, like you said, we're not the first, so we can learn from others, but the idea of working with others too makes so much sense. So thank you for that. That is, uh, that, that's very good news for going forward. Um, now, the, the next question I want to actually dig into, um, and I may actually come back to you just very briefly, Heather, and then I'm going to jump to the others as well. This is a question that actually has somewhat bothered me as well. And I'm curious to hear the opinions of all of the guests on how this works, because Heather, you had talked about the Plastics Alliance as being a key stakeholder in this, in this exercise. But one of the questions that was sent through is, but how did the resin producers fit in? Because we've talked, and I know I'm gonna to come to you, Jody, too, on the definition of producers. So when we look at how we're defining producers, how do the resin producers fit in? Because they're not traditional producers under the definition. Um, so in fact, maybe Jody, if I, can we just start with you and then I'll go back to Heather as to what she's been thinking in terms of Alberta's approach because we have such a strong focus on the manufacture of plastics. So Jody, what do you think about the resin producers? Well, let's just first start with the definition of producer and very yes. plainly, a producer is the 
it's, it's the person responsible for the material showing up in Alberta, the, the entity responsible. So it's the, it's, the, it's the business that either imported the product or it's the business that generated the product within the province. Um, and it's, it's usually defined as the entity that has the closest commercial connection to um, you know, the final disposition in, in the province. That doesn't mean that, that the producer can't, it can't be broader than that. Sometimes extra jurisdictional producers that have a bunch of subsidiary companies within a province, they might choose to actually report for um, a bunch of smaller producers that within a province if they're servicing them. So in terms of the resin producers, I, you know, they have such a huge opportunity to be an effective part of an EPR system because at the end of the day, um, those resin producers could be producing recycled content. And, it, and again, when we're talking about a circular economy, this is all about getting material back into products and making sure that we're not just downcycling and using it one more time and pretending that we're actually resulting in some kind of significant environmental change. This is about making a real change. In order to make a real change, we have to make sure that that material is constantly cycling. So I think the resin producers are essential um, and I think they have an opportunity to expand their business. Well said, thank you. Um, just curious how that resonated with you, Heather, and, and what you guys might've been thinking of and how the, the resin producers really fit into this whole equation. For sure. So I think, I think what we need to do is look at Alberta's ultimate goal, which is to become this you know, center of excellence really for plastics recycling and diversion. Um, and, and recycling is twofold. It's mechanical, but we're also looking at, you know, bettering our ability in terms of chemical recycling, right, at the molecular level. So engaging with, with the resin producers is an important part of understanding how to get to that ultimate goal, right? So, so the, you know, residential blue box materials in terms of PPP um, is an important part of Alberta's overall plastics waste stream, which doesn't need to be a waste, right? It's a commodity that can go back into our economy. Um, starting with EPR for these programs, or starting with EPR as one of the implementation strategies for these, these plastics along with other materials is a good way to start to help Alberta make the shift to this circular economy. But ultimately the changes for circular economy are not, not dependent really entirely on this on this particular effort that Alberta Environment and Parks is working on right now. There's much bigger pieces that need to come together. And that's the work of the Plastics Alliance of Alberta right now, along with Alberta Energy under the natural gas strategy. You know, and of course we're partners along with some other government ministries. But, but you have to look at the much bigger picture to see where that transition is happening. This yeah. is a small piece of it. It's not the only piece. It's not the most important piece it is a key piece. Right, excellent. No, thank you for that, recognizing that, uh, yeah, EPR is only one tool and is, is not the panacea to, to everything. So thank you for that. I, I wondered, Kelsey, I wondered if you might have a comment on this as well, because you're, you're coming from a sort of a different level of producers and this whole notion of how do we bring in the higher level of producers as well, which are really the suppliers to the producers that, you tend to work with just just would love to hear your input on this. Sure, and and overall, RCC has been very supportive of the idea of having a hierarchy as the producer definition, so you can get the the producer that is most connected to that product. Uh, so just following up on what Jody said, but in terms of having other companies uh, in Ontario, there's something called a volunteer organization, and 
the draft regulation, there was a pr- provision for that. So there are opportunities for other companies to volunteer to, you know, take on and help with some of those responsibilities. So it's important to build in that flexibility to support some of those commercial arrangements. And that's where you can start to support innovation and efficiencies in the system. So I think having, you know, that flexibility is what's important with the hierarchy. Right. So you're suggesting then when you move up the hierarchy, there may be some of the higher level um, organizations that may be involved on a more voluntary basis that actually support those who are officially obligated under the regulation. Is, is that kind of what you're saying? Correct. And, and some, depending on whether it's a manufacturer or retailer, you know, they have, may have varying uh, sizes in teams that handle reporting or expertise. So sometimes that voluntary approach allows the responsibility to be shifted to those with, you know, better expertise and capacity to help uh, meet those responsibilities. So definitely having that ability to, you know, shift up and down that hierarchy is really beneficial. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Kelsey. And I think that's, that's uh, obviously something that we need to look more into in Alberta because we have a slightly different situation here than other jurisdictions. So I, I think that's important. Um, thanks for that. Next question I want to move on to is about outcomes. And, and you, you talked about the outcomes and the targets a bit, Heather. But of course, the devil's in the detail, and it gets into a lot of detail when you're actually looking at targets. So um, I, I'd like to throw this one to you, Alda, if that's okay. Um, in terms of the targets, and Jody had mentioned that we need to make sure we have ambitious targets. I just wonder, Alda, how you're feeling about how we have referenced the targets in the discussion paper and what you would recommend around targets. And I know we talked a bit before about the whole issue of, um, you know, outcomes-based regulation. So if you can just speak a little bit about that. Okay. Well, I think you I think in any jurisdiction, you have to have a starting point, right? And I think that's where you're at now in Alberta. Um, Again, speaking from the BC experience, um, you set targets and they're aspirational. Uh, So uh, whether you can meet them right away or not, um, you're working towards them. Uh, I think uh, what I've seen over time from pretty much every um, um, pro in uh, BC is that they've raised their bars, right? Their targets, you know, over the years when they um, produce their, um, their, 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 their plans, renew their plans every five years. So um, I think I have to say, you, yes, you need, you need to in, enshrine within your you know, outcomes-based regulation, your targets um, and um, be understanding that it will take some time probably to hit some of those targets too. And I, I think that, um, uh, the, it will just, t- it will take time. That's all I can say. I, and I, I really respect you, Jody. you know, being, you know, really after the high, you know, the high level and, and, um, you know, wanting to see those, those results being very robust. Um, I, I believe that this is a partnership, right, between industry and government um, reaching uh, the goal of a circular economy. And I think you'll see that over time happening through the partnerships that will take place between regional governments and and industry in in um, implementing the programs. There'll be push and pull for sure, uh, but as I say, 
I, I think we, we all have the same goal in mind. And um, I think Kelsey can speak to that uh, too, right? I mean, your members all want to see similar results, positive results, because remember too, they need to report to their shareholders as well, right? They have corporate social responsibility reporting that they do themselves, right? And um, the results that they see happen, you know, within jurisdictions in Canada um, are highlighted in those reports at times because they're multinational corporations too. So anyway, I will say um, work together <laughs> for, for a positive end result. Yeah, and I think, so Kelsey, she kind of passed the baton to you. So before I go to Jody, if you want to just maybe follow up a little bit on Alda's comments. Sure, and I agree with Alda. D definitely retailers, you know, are excited about this opportunity and want to support the transition to a circular economy. And part of that is the better design of packaging and products to get that material back uh, and include more recycled content. So by creating that circular economy too, it also helps producers get access to material since it can be challenging right now, uh, mm -hmm. for example, you know, food grade quality recycled content can be difficult to get uh, for retailers to get their hands on. So by improving these systems and creating economies of scales, it'll really help to create that circular economy uh, and take advantage of some of the emerging technologies that we're seeing, you know, recycling companies start to work on and also to implement those at a, at a broader scale. Great. Can Thank I you. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Alda. I'll just add a little point here that, that we've seen over time here is our industry for, I mean, I'm not from the plastics industry, but I know what's happened here with Merlin plastics, for instance, right? Where all of our um, PPP plastics mm -hmm. Are delivered you know through through the recycled bc program um that business has grown tremendously and i know that um you know they ship their their recycled pellets right to various um, manufacturers in the lower mainland for use in the production of umpteen products now that has and that business has grown tremendously over time so we don't have plastics going anywhere else they mm -hmm. all of our our um uh, residential collected plastics, you know, go to Merlin Plastics, right? I mean, that that wasn't happening 20 years ago, I can tell you. And way, way back then, it was HDPE um, milk jugs, and that was it, right, going to Merlin. So um, this, this community that has developed here, you know, of keeping the product locally and recycling it locally, I, I think is a result of, of EPR program development. And um, I think that will start happening throughout Canada, as, as Kelsey was referring to, too, the harmonization of programs. I think we're, we want that so that we can share product, you know, th throughout Canada as well for remanufacturing. Great. No, th thanks, Alda. That's so important because the whole idea that the, we have real advantages in looking at made-at-home solutions, and I think that really fits in with some of the things Heather was talking about as well in terms of enhancing our industry. So thank you for that. Um, can I, Jody, can I over, yeah, actually over to you. I, 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 what I really, you can, you can talk about the other things too, but I just wonder if you can, just to help everybody on the call, can you please explain to everybody the difference between performance-based versus outcomes-based regulations and why one is more advantageous over the other, in your opinion. Yeah, so the, there's a difference in when, you, when we talk about what BC is doing and what Ontario is doing. What BC is doing is a stewardship plan approach, and they basically have this negotiated system. Uh, they, have a, they have what I like to call, being a former regulator, I'm going to say this and 
shoot me later, uh, but they set a 75% target in regulation, which it, which in regulation is basically the, the pollute up to limit, right? As long as you divert 75%, everything above and beyond that is, is gold, and we get to pretend we're doing a great job. And then we negotiate these sub-targets for materials that, that aren't performing as well. And that that sort of kind of works when you have a negotiated system, right? Everybody's working in concert, everybody's cooperating, everybody's trying to do something better, but we still have these in BC after, you know, however, however many years of the program, these materials. So where, like, I think it was flexible packet pa packaging where they're like 20 or 40%. What is it? 20% is the goal. 20% diversion, 20% collection, let alone actual recycling on top of that amount, which is, you know, that, that seems ridiculously low when you consider, uh, when you consider what outcomes are possible. Now imagine instead of having this negotiated approach, we have the Alberta system, which we're gonna put in regulation, which by the way, I support, but we know that in right, once something's in regulation in Alberta, it can be there for 20 years. We have an electronics program that we regulated in 2003 that we have yet to be able to actually expand, despite the fact that we all know electronics have expanded and changed over the past 20 years. So the problem with putting low targets in regulation is that you have to have a government five years from now that is willing and able, and we know that's not always likely or even, <laughs> even possible sometimes, to come back and raise those targets to the next level. So when I talk about setting ambitious targets, I'm not talking about setting punitive targets. I'm talking about finding a way to set targets that provide a long enough like vision out into the future that it gives producers incentive to innovate because they know something is coming. And it provides a system that rewards those producers that are doing the right thing that have fully recyclable packages over those producers that don't. Because right now, if I'm a flexible packaging producer in BC and I hit 20%, I get to celebrate as much as the beverage container recycling program that's achieving 78% in that province. And that to me, there's something wrong with the system when we can celebrate 20% diversion. Oh, thank you for that. That's fantastic. And that actually brings us back into the, the whole issue of this whole concept of producers having these stewardship plans. Um, and I know in, in reading the paper, I, I, I don't know what you guys interpreted out of the paper, but Heather, it appears that the, the government is not so keen on the idea of these, these plans anymore, but rather on outcomes. Um, is, is that a correct way of interpreting what you have said in the paper? I think what we're looking for is to try to create a system which creates the ability for the, the producers to meet the outcomes that we expect through flexibility, innovation, and, and their own ingenuity. Um, stewardship plans are, are one way to approach that issue. Um, I, I think the reality is that in Alberta's context, stewardship plans also create a fair bit of red tape. Um, and so we are looking at trying to create a very uh, streamlined system that still achieves the same environmental outcomes, um, but with, with less red tape. Okay. Oh, can I just follow up on that? Uh, of steer course you can. Stewardship plans don't just provide red tape. They actually provide this insidious thing called the regulated conduct defense. So as soon as government approves uh, a stewardship plan at any level, it's provided, basically it sanctions whatever's in that stewardship plan and it, it, it kind of limits the ability of the competition bureau to come in and um, uh, ensure that there's, you know, ensure there's no funny business going on under the act. So there is this, there, there, it creates red tape, sure, but it's also this insidious problem of, of providing sanction to a producer plan and anything that's in that plan. So it's, it's an important distinction. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, no, that's that's actually that's an important point. Thank you. Um, then I, I think that that really leads us into the the whole concept then of, of oversight. And Alda, I, I know that BC is is transitioning or looking at transitioning on this. So in your perfect world, then how does this oversight look? And then I will come back to Jody because the reality in Alberta is that's one way that we're fundamentally different than BC. You are, I don't think you're ever going to see the Alberta government providing the oversight. So we need to have a mechanism for doing that. So, so Alda, can you just comment on how the oversight has worked for, for you guys? It has, it has been frustrating. I think there's no doubt. Um, Personally, I believe an outcomes-based regulation is more prescriptive, but I believe it's much more advantageous to local and provincial government authorities. Um, The terms are defined in it, and there's very little gray area. We do have gray area, for sure, in our our programs here and or in our plans, right? So, and it's very hard to regulate that because there is gray area. Um, You know, you'll you'll have um, the... The, the producer produce the plan so that it, it it can be approved, but then they also kind of have a little little gray area too to avoid um, uh, being being too too forcefully regulated as well. So um, so I agree. I, I think you know we need to have a, a little more um, robust regulation here. Our, ours was last drafted in two thousand and four, um, and I think we need to have a second look. So I agree with you, Jody. We we don't have an ideal world here. Um, but we're working together, I think, you know, as well, right, to do the best that we can with, with the tools in our toolbox here from a regulatory perspective. And I'm hopeful that, that our province will, will do a review, you know, of our regulation, you know, sometime, you know, into the future, too, because times are changing, there's no doubt. So <laughs> I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. So, so Jody, tell us your uh, insights into how oversight should look, and you can even feel free to bring in some of the process that's developing in Ontario, if you like. Yeah, I'll throw I'll throw some of that to Kelsey because she's she's the new expert there. Yeah. Um, so in terms of oversight, I think if you you know every time I've talked to the BC government over the last decade uh, since they've introduced EPR, they've they said the same thing. There it, there's a lot of work in terms of enforcing EPR, um, just in terms of bringing programs in and enforcing free riders. And the fact is, like I've worked in two governments, the the Ontario government and the Alberta government, and the capacity within government to enforce and to actually become uh, to enforce in a way that that makes sense, that that allows you to become an expert on a material that just isn't there. If you're a government employee, you're supposed to be an expert in how to create a policy um, and and uphold the the letter of the law. But it doesn't mean that you're gonna you're gonna know how to provide effective enforcement um, for you know reaching targets, for instance. It's, it's a different kind of ball of wax. So in terms right. of overseeing like overseeing a regulated stewardship program, you need. You need a an oversight body with the capacity. That's often not government. Uh, you need people who are able to do a deep dive into the topic. That's often not government. Um, and you need an organization that's funded that actually has the funding to carry out enforcement activities. If you're broke you, and you, you can't buy your badge, you can't go out and actually do any work. Now, having said that, I think there um, is huge opportunity because Saskatchewan's in a shared responsibility system, Manitoba's in a shared responsibility system, BC, you know, whether they move to a third party oversight or not, there's an opportunity to do like Western oversight or to harmonize oversight across the country. When I worked um, for AOMA, one 
one of the things we heard from stewards constantly was, you know what costs us the most in terms of admin burden is just reporting and dealing with your auditing. Can you have a single point of entry where we can go in and we just we don't have to learn a new computer system and a new password for 13 different jurisdictions. We can go in and we can just enter our data and we can become compliant and we can work on the things that matter. So when we talk about harmonization, it's product lists. It's do we are we allowing producers the freedom to actually be efficient nationally? Are we providing or are we sending in 13 different auditors across every jurisdiction? Or are we sending in one that might might be able to do that job um, while they visit one time? So so I think oversight needs to be efficient and effective. Alberta can start it, but I think if Alberta builds something new, then it should be thinking about. Can we, can we build something that would enable the other provinces to join in so that we can provide producers with the maximally efficient oversight possible? Okay. No, that's fantastic. And that's a perfect segue to you, Kelsey, in terms of talking about how Ontario is, is looking at becoming effective and efficient in terms of oversight, because we hear a lot of um, complaints about it not being very efficient. And, and maybe you can just comment on how that, what direction that is headed. Yeah, so in terms of Ontario, they have the Resource Productivity uh, and Recovery Authority, so commonly known as, as RIPRA, which is a producer-funded organization. Uh, and I would say that there has been uh, some stakeholder criticism just over some of the administrative complexity of reporting into that program and also the costs associated with that. So I think when RIPRA was, was formed and as they start to onboard more programs, you know, they have sort of missed out on opportunities to create efficiencies, uh, even when acquiring new databases for programs. They've been doing that on an individual basis. So from the producer standpoint, you know, it's almost like going in and putting in the same company information for each program. So there needs to be that recognition for efficiency that producers, you know, maybe uh, participating in multiple programs and the scope of the organization, uh, that oversight and enforcement capacity is important but it should be focused on ensuring a level playing field uh, and enforcing against free riders uh, rather than getting too broad of a scope since that really drives up costs. So I think, you know, transparency, accountability, uh, efficiency, as Jody mentioned, uh, and then beyond that, just the, the protection of data with those databases while finding efficiency is really important to build in. And I think if there's existing capacity and expertise that exists in Alberta, you know, it's important to take advantage of that rather than building from scratch, since that's where a lot of the cost gets brought in as well. And I just want to I just want to add on to what Kelsey said, just to make this real, like a company like Canadian Tire would participate in every single regulated stewardship program across the country, and they would have to report into 13 jurisdictions times all of those programs. So, you know, I talked to a buddy of mine a few years ago, and, and she was saying, I have a whole fleet of people whose job it is just to enter data. So when we talk about admin burden, it's real. Um, and these, these, these national companies, they, they deserve an opportunity to be efficient. Right. No, great, great point. And, and the way this conversation is headed, it, it actually has taken us then in the direction of, okay, if we're going to have oversight, and hopefully ultimately enforcement, um, what is it that we're actually enforcing or overseeing? So if we're not going to have stewardship plans, how do we set targets? How, how do we do that? And I know one of the questions that had come forward in the chat was, is this something that we could do? Like, is this something that, that we do kind of as a, a, a process, kind of like what we're undertaking now, where we actually bring multiple stakeholders together to talk about what the right targets are. And I think because going down that road of being purely outcomes-based, 
um, certainly we have to answer that question if we're going to come up with the right targets. So um, all the, I know you guys have thought a lot about this. What do you think about actually setting the targets rather than leaving it to the producers to set them in a plan? Oh, I think that's absolutely the right approach. And I, I, you know, I echo Jody, you want to be sure you have to hit that sweet spot of, you know, not too much and just enough, right? So, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, for us, um, you know, um, what you're going to do is, is, is um, you work very hard and negotiate here, you know, because uh, that's, that's the only way to, to come up with, with, with that, that, um, the outcomes that will be regulated. I mean, mm -hmm. essentially, um, what's what we have here in BC um, is uh, EPR program plans. Um, they all define the outcomes, you know, within the within the plans actually. And when you go to an outcomes based regulation, it will be black and white. So, um, whereas ours isn't. Ours is a gray area. So, mm -hmm. um, so I might be talking in circles here, but. Um, I agree. You have to negotiate, and I think yeah. that's the only way you're going to do. It. I mean, that's what's happened in Ontario. Um, mm -hmm. is, is there's been some pretty tough negotiation going on, and at least yeah. you have examples, right, that you can look to, you know, for that. But um, yeah. for us, if you leave it, you know, to the pro to define it, you're not going to get the outcomes probably that 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 you so much would like to have from from yeah. Jody's perspective, right? Okay. No, um, no, that's that's fantastic. Thanks, Alda. So, so, so Kelsey, I'm curious then in terms of setting these targets, but maybe you can tell us about the process that Ontario is thinking of going through in terms of action, because they are so looking at going that direction. How, how will those targets be defined? Who gets, who gets to pick the targets? So ultimately the, the government will set the targets and they've been taking a very outcomes-based approach in that they're wanting to set, uh, you know, some of the highest targets in the world. Mm -hmm. And from a producer perspective, in order to achieve those targets, we don't want the regulation to be over prescriptive and, you know, and force us into certain things. We really want to have the flexibility to innovate and figure out the most cost efficient and effective way to achieve those targets. So I think if an outcomes based approach is being taken, um, you know, retailers and other producers need to have that flexibility to figure out what's best to achieve them. Okay, no, and that's fair. So obviously, the producers are at the table then. And the government is at the table. Who else, Jody? Who else should be at the table? Like, who again? It really who picks these targets because they are going to be what really defines what the regulation is trying to achieve. Yeah. So the government's going to be lobbied hard, and they're going to be lobbied hard to create uh, the targets that are as low as possible. But what's really interesting to me is that we have right now we have a Canada Plastics Pact that's forming, and we have producers who are innovative and who want to do better at the table, saying we want to do better. And they're not just joining the Canada Plastics Pact; they're joining the U.S. and the European, and yada yada. Um, and so those companies, the ones that are that are out there saying I want to do better. Sit down, sit down with a group like Canada Plastics Pack. I think invite them into the conversation and then create targets that are not like <laughs> not punitive. So there's a difference between collection and recycling. And maybe for these low target, these you know, flexible packaging, maybe the targets in the first years are collection and with you know research and innovation dollars and that kind of thing. And maybe 10 years from now, there's scaled targets that work up to actual recycling of that material. Um, but you need to give producers a path and something to shoot for so that they don't just hit that pollute up to limit, collect their 20% and say, we're out for the year because we met our outcome government, get off our back, we're done. 
So you have to provide incentive to go above and beyond that pollute up to target. And you have to do it in a way that's friendly to business that encourages them and engages the innovator. So for me, invite like for plastics, invite Canada Plastics Pack in early. They're just forming. They want to do good things. Why not invite them into the conversation? Okay. No, thank you. So what I'm what I'm hearing from everybody then is this this process of setting these targets is critical that is that it's multi-stakeholder. You know, anybody who wants to have a say needs to have a say, and that may make it more complicated, but it's also going to make it more credible at the end of the day. Um, is is that is that a, a correct way of capturing it, do you think, Kelsey? Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize too that at the end of the day, producers will be the ones uh, who are obligated to meet these targets and will be funding the system. So I think once again, you know, it's having that flexibility, recognizing that this, you want to build the system for decades to come, not for you know just the next few years. Right. So having that mindset going into it, um, since you know, as Jody mentioned with the Canada Plastics Pact, RCC is a member, and many of our retailers are also members of that. And it's having the ability to implement those new technologies and new packaging types to really push the system forward and avoiding some of that prescriptive language that might just, you know, help for, for a few years, but not even be relevant uh, in a longer time frame. So it's having, you know, that flexibility right. to, to look to new innovation. Can I add something, Christina? Okay. Great. So I'm going to bring this down. You bet you can, Alda. <laughs> here, okay. I think what we can do is do an analogy here. Um, when you're setting those targets to what happened here in BC with Recycle BC, setting a target of 3% um, non-PPP contamination threshold, right? So all my members looked and went, oh my God, like we can't get just 3% um, contamination in our curbside product. I mean, a lot of programs are getting 20% contamination, mm -hmm. contamination, right? But again, it was, a, it's, and we were scared. I mean, our members, that was one of the key things that scared our members when they were negotiating their contracts with Recycle BC, you know, 11, 10 years ago, nine years ago. And, um, but the fact is that if we kept that target, um, you know, Recycle BC didn't, didn't raise that, that contamination target. They said, let's work together to reach that target. And so what happened here over time is essentially right away, I don't think we had one program hitting a 3% non-PPP um, uh, tar target, right? But now we are getting programs hitting three to 7%, you know, from the 12, 15, 20%, right? So it depends. So what's happened is we've worked together at that, right? Recycle BC has been great at working with contracted municipalities or any contractor doing the collection. Right. So, and there, there was trust that, that developed over time, right? Good communication and lots of PE, right? Promotion and education. And that is going to be the key here to make this work. Okay. Not going to hit the targets right away, but if you work together to reach them, it will happen eventually. I mean, guys, I'm talking from you know the point of view, I've been around for 35 years in this industry, we had a 10% waste diversion target in solid waste management plants when I started, right? I don't know when you started. <laughs> that's what we were doing. We were doing plant 10% diversion. Well, now we're looking at zero waste, right? So yeah. that's what I'm saying here. I think it's great. You set targets high. It doesn't mean you're going to reach them away and you don't have to do punitive. What you need to do though, is have those producers and those products. You can see the environmental change happening, right? in the, pro the packaging, as long as they're trying, as long as they're working towards that goal, you're not going to find them, I wouldn't say, right? I mean, it, mm -hmm. you have 
to be fair. So anyway, okay. that's my perspective on this. <laughs> no, that's, that's totally fair. Uh, Jody, do you have, do you have something about, because I, I have a yeah. direct question for you too, but go ahead first. I just wanted to give an analogy about why uh, targets are so important. All that got me all excited and I, so I had to follow up. Uh, so, you know, it's important to understand the difference between collection and recycling. And I keep hitting on that. And the reason I keep hitting on that is because when I, you know, I joined AOMA and the first thing I realized when I got to AOMA uh, was that we were meeting our target, but we were, we were, it's like, don't ask, don't tell. We were meeting our target by measuring what was going over the waste scale, not what was coming out of the back end of the recycling program. And the fact is nobody was making us do anything differently. So it's really important that we don't, we don't create targets that are so punitive to producers that they, they, get, they get into don't ask, don't tell, um, because they just need to meet their target. And they're so worried about meeting their target that they're just going to let high levels of residual go through. We want targets that are aspirational, that encourage innovation, that reward the good players, but at the same time, encourage investment in innovation. We don't want them just reporting on amount collected. Perfect. No, and thank you. That's actually one of the things I wanted to bring up. And in fact, let's do that right now since you brought that up. Um, the whole One of the things that we've seen in BC and also is hinted at in the discussion paper is this idea of the target being related to amount either quote unquote recovered or collected or, but really at the end of the day, we want material to be recycled. So should the targets not be the amount recycled, not the about collected? Is, is, is that correct, Jody? I think it needs to be tiered. So I think I think we want we want three levels of targets, right? We want producers to be encouraged to collect as much as they can. We want them to be encouraged to recycle as much as they can. And we want them to encourage them to, for the material they can't recycle, to do the best they can with that material. And so I think you actually need, um, like the European Union is looking at recycling and recovery targets, and that's why. So it's in, it's encouraging producers to. To, to do to do more you want to hit that recycling target but if you can't hit the recycling target because the end of the technology right. just isn't there you want to be able to do something good with it but collection right. collection targets might be the way like the base level of it what, I, what i'm trying to say here is about transparency we want transparency and reporting on three things collection recycling recovery uh those those two together and also a residual to landfill and recycle bc honestly does a fantastic job in terms of mm -hmm transparency about what's coming at the back end. And I think that that would be a good kind of place to start. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point that really having that proper definition definition doesn't only encourage the right outcomes, it also encourages transparency. So we actually know what's going on in the system. Thank you for that. That's a, a very important point. But but the whole targets thing, there was another question that had come up on the chat that, that I want to get it because one of the challenges we faced in Alberta is remember, um, have it, we, we had the recycling fees in our regulations and as a result, they could not be changed. And it, it, you remember this, Jody, very well. It really hamstrung the organizations for being able to prove their systems. So is there a danger in putting the targets actually in the regulation that they then are not adjustable enough? Or how do we, how do we make them um, not only enforceable, but realistic by being adjustable? How, how do we deal with that? If you can start with that one, Jody, and I'll go around to everybody. Yeah, that's the real challenge with regulations, right? So um, you you can do things like let the you know let the targets be adjustable by the director. The problem with letting targets be able to be adjusted by the director is the director often is encouraged and negotiated and pressured to negotiate down from the main target. So if you look at BC's seventy five percent target then go do a scan of all the programs and look at all of the targets that are below 75%, right? 
So, so you can do things that allow the director to make the regulation more fluid. Um, at the same time, if something isn't in regulation, it's hard to enforce again. So I actually don't have a great answer for this, but you know what? I have this feeling that Kelsey might, because she's going through this right now and I see her smiling. <laughs> yes. And so, you know what, we'll come to you, Kelsey. And then Heather, I want to get your response to this as well. So Kelsey, go ahead. I think one of the things that has come up during the Ontario discussions for initially for the draft blue box regulation was, you know, how do you set these material uh, categories that go along with the targets? And one of the things um, that was important for retailers was that you set the categories broad enough that they're still relevant for years to come. So things like, you know, flexible plastic or rigid plastic, rather than setting specific targets for material types um, like PET, right. although it's, you know, highly recyclable. So it's having recognition that, you know, material, you know, how products and packaging are made may change over time, and there might be changes in what material types are favored. So it's having the categories broad enough that they remain relevant over time. And that also allows producers to, you know, hit more ambitious targets. Mm -hmm. No, that's a, that's a fantastic comment. Thank you. Heather, I'm just curious, do you have any, um, that's not the right question. How, how, how are you feeling um, the, the idea of being able to integrate targets into the regulation, but still have them be flexible so they can evolve? So I think there's lots of different sort of things going through my mind in terms of this question. So the first piece is like, I can't reiterate enough the importance of government industry partnership in, in addressing these problems, right? So um, I want to reflect back uh, earlier points that were heard, which is that we need to be collaboratively and collectively working to solve this problem together. So, so thanks to everybody who's made that point. You know, certainly that's our perspective too. Um, I think I think the second sort of concern, like Jody raised, always is around regulation. So moving forward with um, changes to regulation uh, can sometimes be hampered by by other issues. I think um, there are different ways that you can help ensure that regular reviews occur, and, and often an expiry date insertion to regulations, which triggers a review, is a key way of ensuring that regula regulations continue to involve evolve over time. I think what you need to do when you have this expiry date sort of part of your process is ensure that it's often enough that you keep moving forward in it with innovation, but not so frequent that it creates instability and the ability for pro like producers or other, the regulated parties in essence, to plan and, and to have regulatory certainty for long enough to get their feet under them so that we can help create an environment for innovation. So, you know, certainly um, I would say, you know, in terms of the regulation development, like we, we haven't put pen to paper at this point. We are truly engaging stakeholders. Um, we're engaging a very broad group of stakeholders through this process. Um, there are very few sectors in Alberta that aren't interested in this conversation. And so we're listening very carefully to everything that we've heard. We've had heard some great points today um, that we're taking back as part of our policy analysis. And, and we're going to look at all the feedback. We're going to have sector table discussions. We're going to have one-on-ones. We're going to continue to engage in a wide variety of forums to hear what people have to say. And at the end of it all, it does seem that in general, even in the early phases of our engagement, that feedback is coalescing in certain areas, which is great because it gives uh, government sort of clarity in terms of stakeholder perspectives. Um, 
and and then from there we'll we'll work to construct the regulation. So, mm-hmm. so you know, it's actually a good thing that I don't have a lot of answers today because it's a demonstration that we're truly listening um, and and trying to find the best feedback that people have to offer at this point. No, thank you, and and, and certainly I think from from everybody's point of view that uh, it, it's obvious how serious. Alberta Environment is taking this engagement process and we really appreciate that, that uh, you you really want to hear what people have to say and, and that's really why we're here today. Thank you for listening to this 2021 webinar series. Search for On the Cusp, Alberta Circular Podcast on iTunes and Google Podcast for more from the RCA or visit recycle.ab.ca to see the full presentations.